Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hello and welcome to Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May, and today we have with us Sue Thomas. She is a sugar-free coach, which I am super excited about uh, having her here to talk about all of things sugar and breaking free from it because it can definitely have a stronghold on our lives. Uh, so cutting back on sugar improves our overall health, which can definitely have positive effects on our mood, energy levels, and hormone balance. It could also lead to better sleep quality, and it uh, seems to be quite um, obvious, but in case it needs to be mentioned, beneficial for our weight management. A reduced sugar lifestyle will also help to eliminate joint pain, improve cardiovascular function, and promote better in intestinal health. Making small changes over time can be more sustainable and effective than trying to make big changes all at once. So we're definitely going to talk about that. So by providing practical guidance and support, Sue helps many individuals break the cycle of sugar consumption and improve their overall being long term. So welcome, welcome. Thank you oh, for being thank here. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. So tell us about your story and how you came to be passionate about this uh little caveat of healthcare specifically. <laughs> um, so if I take you back to um, 2009 and I had, um, I was a personal trainer at the time and I had um, a streptococcal knee infection, which meant that I ended up on about 25 days of very high dose antibiotics, which um, at the time I didn't, I wasn't a nutritional therapist at the time. I didn't understand what that was gonna do to my long-term well-being. And so fast forward to 2013, and I was still personal training, but I was having to take, take a sleep in the afternoon because I was exhausted. I wasn't sleeping well. I was eating just to kind of give me what I thought was gonna be energy to get me through to get me through the day. I wasn't being present for my clients, wasn't being present for my family. Um, and I'm not someone who, I like to walk the talk, I like to be authentic, I like to represent to my clients a, a kind of model of what they can achieve if they, you know, if they're, um, when they put the, t the time and the consistency in. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that actually I needed to do something about this because this wasn't where I wanted to be in terms of my own health. So I went to see my own nutritional therapist and she said, well, first thing we've got to do is get your gut health sorted out. And then we'll look at the different, at how you're fueling your body throughout the course of the day. And so we worked on um, supporting my gut health and repairing my gut health, which had been damaged by the antibiotics three, four years earlier. Um, but then the next thing we really focused on, on was eating food for sustainable energy. And this is really, this really kind of lit a fire in me. I've always had a real passion for nutrition. Um, but I, at the time, I wasn't qualified as a nutritional therapist. And I was, as I said, really eating what I believed was going to give me the energy and the things we've been told by the food industry, I believe was going to give me the energy, you know, so I was, 
I was eating the cereal bar in the afternoon because I thought that would pick up my energy levels. I was eating the sandwich at lunchtime because I thought I needed the complex carbohydrate to get me through the afternoon because I was training clients and stuff like that. And actually what we did was we switched it up completely and we took away certain things that I thought were giving me energy, which were actually sapping me and my energy. And at the time when she said to me, you need to take the sandwich and just have it as a salad and not have the bread. I was like, oh, how am I ever going to, how am I ever going to function? Where's the energy going to come from? And I was blown away by how much more energy I had when I didn't have that sandwich at lunchtime and I did have the big salad. And so I just started to really investigate it a little bit more. I wanted to understand it. I requalified as a nutritional therapist because I was, I began this, this journey of really understanding how food was fueling my clients bodies and and actually that I was focusing on the wrong things to help them get the the the, the results they were looking for and gradually then I moved more and more away from training clients to actually coaching them in nutrition and mm-hmm. then became more and more specific around sugar because particularly for a female who is 40 plus the things that we used to do when we were younger, when our metabolism was higher and we could, you know, we 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 needed more energy, those things don't no longer work when you're 40 plus, when your hormones are changing and all that kind of thing. And actually, insulin, the blood sugar hormone, is such a dominant hormone that unless we get it under control, it can wreak havoc. It can really mm-hmm. wreak havoc. And so I thought, actually, really where I want to go, I, I was running a program, a 12-week program that I was launching with a sugar-free challenge. And that was the bit that I really enjoyed. I loved that bit. I loved empowering women to understand how much better they could feel without, even just without refined sugar in their life. And so gradually more and more, I kind of went down this road of, actually, if we start with sugar and we make these small lifestyle changes and start to reduce the amount of carbohydrate that is that is not supporting our body. I'm not suggesting for a minute that we get rid of carbohydrate, but the amount of the carbohydrates that are not supporting our body, if we can re- remove those, then we can begin to live a more empowered, more um, vibrant life. And so that's really where I started with it. And that kind of came to fruition really in 2021. So I've been doing, I've been focusing as a sugar-free coach since 2021 and just helping women to initially dip their toe in the water to remove refined sugar and see how that makes them feel and then if that makes them feel good we go on a a journey of I've got a program that's a four-week program that is a journey of actually what are the methods that you need to then help you stay away from sugar long term Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't suggest to anyone that they become completely sugar-free but I think you know it's absolutely possible to live a 95% sugar-free life and still enjoy yourself you don't have to have sugar to absolutely yeah 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 it's I totally something we're conditioned into to think that we need that reward in our lives Um, yeah so but let's first talk about you know um, I feel like we all sort of understand or like superficially know that you know like sugar is not good for our blood sugar and mm. i mean and we associate those two things but beyond that what does sugar really do to us uh at the like you know biological and systemic level so if we understand first of all where we get our energy from so there are, I, I like to call it the, uh, the the glucose spectrum so we've got carbohydrate that comes in co- the form of colorful carbohydrates and reds and greens and oranges which are fruit and vegetables and then we've got on the other end of the spectrum the sort of beiges and the whites 
basis than why it's being complex carbohydrates. We've been told they're complex, but actually they're man-made carbohydrates like pasta and bread. And then we've got the white, which would be, you know, your table sugar, but equally as much your mm -hmm. cookies, your biscuits, your cakes and all those kind of things. And so on that spectrum, the body accesses the glucose, the meta metabolic process that the body goes through to access the glucose is the same for both for, for wherever you're getting your glucose from whether it's the colorful end or the or the beige and the white end but the difference is with the colorful end we those foods contain lots of antioxidants so when the body goes through that metabolic process to release that glucose it also releases byproducts that can cause inflammation so that can set up inflammation in the body but the colorful end of the spectrum has these antioxidants that will neutralize those byproducts and get rid of them out of the system so they don't set up inflammation. If we're getting our carbohydrate from the beige and the white end of the spectrum, they don't contain the antioxidants in the same way. So that metabolic process that the body goes through cr can create inflammation, can create these byproducts that will create inflammation and that can then lead to um, an internal stress. So that inflammation could be seen as joint pain. Um, it could be even be seen as things like brain fog. It can be seen as IBS. Um, all of those are forms of inflammation. Mm -hmm. And if that's where we're getting a lot of our carbohydrate from, that, that beige and white end, that's creating more and more inflammation in the body. It's causing more and more stress internally. And that then leads to the release of other hormones it kind of leads to a cascade of hormones that can mm -hmm. actually do quite a lot of damage long term um, yes and so what we really want so we really want to understand is that actually we know that eating a, a cookie is no good for us but we don't make that same association necessarily with bread or pasta um in how it can start to create inflammation in the body and it's that inflammation that we really need to manage and get under control because that's the start of the problems being uh, of not only of our um cravings for sugar but also the start of um a sort of gradual degradation of our long-term well-being if we've got in internal inflammation what we call systemic inflammation deep down inflammation mm -hmm. that is causing the body to be stressed internally Right, which, you know, um, is uh, driving those stress hormones. So cortisol, mm -hmm. epinephrine, norepinephrine, even yeah. if you're getting that dopamine high, which is the reward chemical mm. from from the sugar, from the sweet thing, or yeah. even maybe it's not, quote unquote, sugar, maybe it's bread or pasta. But again, it, it all comes down to sugar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, um, crisp wheels, potato oh, chips in the US. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or fries. But, yeah. you know, it's um, it all comes down. And that's one of the things that I also try to reinforce with my clients too, is that it doesn't matter if it's a refined carb or simple sugar or a complex carb, mm -hmm. it all comes back to glucose. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're constantly pumping your body full of a source of glucose, then your body's either going to use it and burn it, or it's mm -hmm. going to store it. Yeah. Insulin is the storage hormone. Yeah. And for those of you that, you know, um, aren't super, you know, into the biology side of things, if sugar is not used, it is stored as fat. Mm -hmm. So that's why also, like you said, when, you know, women 40 plus, our hormones start to change, things don't metabolize and, you know, 
burn as quickly as they used to. And even with men too, your basal metabolic rate goes down as you age, you know, so the if you're eating the same way that you did when you were in your 20s and 30s, then unless you're still working out hardcore and are super active through throughout the day, mm -hmm. not just for your like 20 minute hit session, then you're going to have a harder time keeping lean, losing weight, whatever your goal is, and staying healthy because really what y'all you're doing is accumulating this inflammation and keeping that that insulin cycle constantly pumping and working and storing the fat and dealing with these extra glucose molecules floating around in your body and eventually exhausting your pancreas which leads to type 2 diabetes yeah yeah, yeah so and also i think yeah. for a female who is 40 plus because her liver is doing so much work to manage hormone change and the liver is the first place where we store excess glucose as glycogen. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if our liver is overworked with the glycogen, it's trying to store glycogen before it converts it to the fat, then that can then have a knock-on effect to how well you manage your menopause as well, or your perimenopause. And that can exacerbate those symptoms that you see as well. So not only do you see that weight gain, but also you see symptoms of menopause being more accentuated because your liver's not functioning efficiently. So there's a whole load of things going on yeah. that we really need to kind of, if we can remove the majority of the refined sugar or the, the majority of the glucose that doesn't serve us, we can start to improve our health really quite quickly, actually. You can see quite a quick result with people. Even in just seven days, you can get people sleeping better. Uh, you can get them um, um, balancing their blood sugars much better so that they can begin to see things more clearly, you know, that mental clarity, little things that you can change in just seven days that will make a big difference to how, how you feel about yourself, which then motivates you to, to take more action. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, just to add another layer of understanding to that liver aspect too, although our sex hormones are made in and around our sex hormones, they're used and digested and broken down and divvied up in other parts of the body. One of those main places is the liver. Yeah. So that whole link between our menopausal symptoms, it, you know, and even just how our body is holding on to toxins in general, which can mm -hmm. also keep us overweight. Yeah. A, a lot of that has to come back to our liver health. So um, yeah, super important to keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, if we're looking at the increased rates of, of fatty liver, of non-alcoholic fatty yeah. liver disease, as they call it. Um, so it's when your, your, your uh, liver starts to um, be, look like on a, on a scan more fatty, mm. even when you're not a drinker. Mm. Yeah. So it starts to have that same look as, as a cirrhotic liver, mm. but it's from a different mechanism. Yeah. And so that's a real consequence too, right now in the Western world. Uh, you know, some people like to blame it all on our fast food culture, mm. but I've seen plenty of older women that don't eat a lot of fast food, very minimal, and they still start to develop this fatty liver and they come to me and they're like, why? Mm. Why, you know, like I don't have a history of this, like I'm not a drinker, I don't, but why is that? And it's it's lifestyle, your stress yep. levels, mm -hmm. it's your toxic burden load, mm -hmm. and uh -huh. then how, how much sugar are you eating every yeah. day? Yeah. And, and so that's why I like to use the word carb mm. because 
people think when you say sugar, I feel like they think sweets. Yes. So yes. Like, oh, well, I don't drink a lot of soda or I don't eat a lot of candy. Mm -hmm. But it's not just that. Like, how yeah. much bread are you eating? How yes. much pasta are you eating? Rice? You know, all of the different ways that we incorporate carbs into our daily lifestyle. Yeah. It's not just about adding it to your, a teaspoon to your cup of tea. It's all those other things like, you know, like I said, originally when the nutritional therapist said to me, give up and stop eating the bread at lunchtime. That for me was a, as a was an eye opener as to actually that is really contributing to my peaks and troughs in energy level because it's not serving my blood sugar balance. It's not giving me consistent levels of insulin. It's not giving me consistent levels of glucose. It's spiking my glucose really quickly and then it's crashing. And that's what's causing me to have to take a sleep in the afternoon. But mm -hmm. because I I wasn't, um, because I, I, you know, like you said, with, with most of your clients, they're not eating. They don't think they're eating a load of sugar. I wasn't a chocolate eater or anything like that. But it was those things that we didn't, I didn't really recognize as being something that wasn't, uh, something that was consistent for my my blood glucose levels. It didn't provide me with consistent, steady blood glucose. Um, and and it, all of those things, I think a lot of it is to do with the food industry as it is now, and that they've kind of almost misguided us into thinking these things mm. are healthy, we're going to be all right with this. Mm -hmm. But actually, in reality, they're far from healthy. I always say, if it says it's healthy on the on the label, it probably isn't because it's having to, to protest. Right. Is having to create, create a protest to pretend that it is. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, okay. I think we've covered that base and very good explanation. Now let's talk about cravings. And yeah. I sort of talked about dopamine a little bit earlier, but let's talk about like why we are so attached to the bread mm. and we're so attached to our pastas yeah even again like even like not even really talking about the candy and the sweets factor um or the baked goods but why are we so attached to this carb aspect of our life well it may be different for you over in the states but for, for us here it's a real history thing because during the war we didn't have uh, a lot of carbohydrate and we didn't have bread and all that kind of thing and sugar it was real something that was rationed and so my parents in particular grew up with their parents saying oh you, you can't have that because we haven't got enough of it or we can have this today as a treat so the bread was a treat or they oh, we didn't have pasta then but um you know the sugar whatever it was was a treat the piece of cake was a treat so it was seen as something that was really special it was a bit of a reward you had it because it, you, you'd obviously done something really well or it was a special occasion or what have you mm -hmm. and so our parents then my parents gave to our generation a bit of a kind of like oh it's a it's a treat to have a, a really nice piece of bread or a nice um, really nice pasta di dish and that kind of thing. And so as a result, it's been a handed down kind of almost um, uh, belief, if you like, that these things are a treat for the body, which is fine if you're having it once a week. But if you're having it three or four times a day, that's a completely different kettle of fish. And as the food industry has changed over the last 60 to 70 years, and we've seen that onset of processed food, and we've seen that fast food um, kind of start to take over the, the 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 home cooked foods and all those kind of things. People's the the way we eat has changed, but our metabolism hasn't changed to keep up with it, basically. And mm -hmm. so, in this country in particular, 
the foods that we ate that we saw as comfort foods comes, I think, as a historical thing back from, you know, the 1940s when when things were rationed and, and they weren't available as much. But I always say, so so that craving for comfort foods, I think, is something that we've inherited in, historically. But I always say that cravings tend to be, I always think that cravings are, they happen based on what you first eat in the morning, basically, or whether the first thing that you eat will influence your cravings for the rest of the day. Because if you eat something that is sugary or, or cereal based, that's going to spike your blood sugars quite quickly because your stomach's full of hydrochloric acid. It's going to break down carbohydrate really quickly, the first thing that you eat. And so that results in quite a fast rush of glucose into the bloodstream and a fast rush of insulin being released in order to manage that blood glucose levels. Um, so if you eat a cereal-based breakfast, which again, we've been told for years and years was the right way to start our breakfast, you mm -hmm. know, and the most important meal of the day is breakfast, which actually there's no scientific evidence for that at all. Um, but, <laughs> all marketing. It's all marketing. It is all marketing. It all came from Mr. <laughs> Kellogg and the fact that he wanted to sell his cornflakes. Um, mm -hmm. But if you, if you, that first thing that you eat, if it's a cereal-based breakfast or a, a, a carbohydrate-based breakfast, a processed carbohydrate-based breakfast, it's going to spike your blood sugars really quickly. And that's going to result two hours later in a bit of a crash of blood sugars. And because your brain functions on glucose, your brain picks up this message, oh my goodness, blood sugars have dropped. We need to eat something. We need to eat something quickly. And that's when the craving kicks in. So not only have you got a dopamine hit from that comfort food, that feeling of, oh, it's okay. I'm, I'm giving myself something really nice. But then you've also got these cravings that sometimes are almost out of your control because they, because your blood sugars crash, your brain perceives the need to eat something um, with, with high glucose levels in order to bring your blood sugars back up again. And so you get on this kind of blood sugar roller coaster throughout the course of the day. And so it becomes almost difficult to manage your cravings because your brain is overriding that feeling. And then mm -hmm. plus if your intestine is full of good bacteria or should be good full of good bacteria. And if it's not full of good bacteria and it's full of yeast, yeast is, is it needs to be activated using sugar. And so that direct link between your intestine and your brain, the vagus nerve, whatever's going on in your intestine is coming out in your brain. So if your yeast is, if you've got an overgrowth of yeast in your intestine, it's going to be sending that message to your brain to consume more sugar. It's going to control your cravings to a certain extent. So I like to tell women that I work with that actually it's not about willpower. It's not about the fact that you think you haven't got any willpower because we beat ourselves up and say, I can't do it. I haven't got any willpower. But actually, it's not about willpower. It's just about understanding how to eat to get your blood sugars balanced. And when you can do that, then you can manage your cravings so much more efficiently. Yes. I think caffeine feeds in with that too. I think exactly. we you we supplement those highs and lows. Yeah. Either either feeding them in conjunction with caffeine and yeah. or when we've crashed and we bring in more to help ourselves yeah. mm -hmm. <clears throat> continue on or feel better. Um it's so interesting that you brought forward that whole um historical and ancestral uh cultural um history piece because that I think that I mean I don't think you can really deny that things that our family and our ancestors go through definitely conditions their response and that's how they raise their children. Yeah. yeah. So for sure, like my grandmother grew up through the depression. Mm. And so she was always, you know, like save, save these bags or, mm. you know, like saving things. Next to amend. 
Yes. Mm. Um, but I think too, the, the other aspect of this whole like uh, food beyond the marketing, the marketing is a huge piece, especially like in the 20th century, it was sort of the advent, like the first time we really ever had mass food marketing. Yeah. And they used the food pyramid in the United States, which again, was really influenced by the food industry not not really based on a lot of good science at no, all no. but more like which industries do we need to support and promote and this again and this is all post world war ii so mm -hmm. it's post-war so you could still argue that it is being based on this you know this um, period of of deprivation and scarcity and rationing and like oh well now we're post-war we have all this abundance now we have to use it. What are we going to do with it? We have to make sure people are eating yeah, yeah. <laughs> and using it. And so we've been taught, like you said, uh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. What does that breakfast looks like? It looks like toast and cereal and French toast and maybe some eggs and bacon and sausage or whatever. Maybe mm -hmm. there's some protein in there, but it's mainly carbs, pancakes, mm. bis biscuits in the, from the South of the United yeah. States, like I'm from, you know, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, like really like almost like finding a way to use flour at every meal yeah, because that's what, and, and then on top of that, it's almost like they're admitting they know these grains don't have the nutrients that we need because they're fortifying them mm -hmm. with B vitamins and yeah. vitamin D. And it's like, yeah. well, and zinc, if, yeah, if they had everything that we needed, would you really need to be fortifying yeah. them? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And then if you so, add into, if you add into that as well, time pressure. So this kind of, um, you know, uh, time poor individuals who are working hard but have got cash, they're gonna they're gonna be doing anything that's making it easy for them to get some fuel into their system, and so they'll stop and get a a Starbucks and a muffin or whatever it is, they'll stop and get something on their way into the office and, and what have you. And that just fuels the problem even further because not only is it then, even because if you're having toast, at least you have toast, you could put some nut butter on it something, or something to kind of add the protein to it. But if you're just having something sugary like a muffin uh, for breakfast with a coffee, that is just gonna just gonna accelerate this, this kind of fast, mm -hmm influx of glucose into your bloodstream which is going to crash and then peak again and crash and all of a sudden you just this this whole kind of stressed lifestyle is to a large extent being fueled as well by the fact that we're just not eating properly so much easier to manage stress if you're fueling your body properly than it is if you're just on this blood sugar roller coaster and so we become less productive through the day because we're on a blood sugar roller coaster but then so that puts more even more pressure on us and we think we need to do more so we'll grab something quickly on our way home because we haven't got time to cook and you know so all of that is adding to this this mm -hmm. whole it's not just about like you say the sugar that we think is the problem it's all these other things that we not, might not necessarily associate with sugar that are just causing our blood sugars to our blood glucose levels to go massively out of balance yeah um and i love that you brought forward also to the um the yeast and the candida aspect mm. um within our guts there you know there are certain ways to tell if you have a candida overgrowth if if you are overtly having signs and symptoms of any sort of yeast infection exuding from any part of your body whether it's your feet your oral cavity your your vaginal cavity mm -hmm. any of that then it stands to reason that you have a yeast overgrowth mm -hmm. problem mm -hmm. internally also mm -hmm. um 
so I think that's important because a lot of people, I think there's this disconnect of like, well, how do I know? Yeah. Um, but I think too, like if you're having sort of these um, insatiable, crazy cravings, like when you try to stop, I think that's a good signal that there is something that's, that's out of balance within your microbiome yeah. because yeah. Cool. it really like when you s sort of start cutting back and getting cognizant and, and maybe not, I also too, like, don't like to think about it as like just abstaining and cutting it out, but like you're re really rebalancing, like you yeah. alluded to also. So mm -hmm. You're, you're adding in the appropriate amount of healthy fats. You're adding in the appropriate amount of protein for your body, which I think is also really important to understand. Yeah, it should be about one gram per ideal body weight. Mm. An ideal body mate is not like the weight that you like to be or that you want to be or that you feel best at. It's an actual like nutritional calculation. So yeah. you can look that up, ideal body weight. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so making sure you get enough protein, good fats. And then like you mentioned that if you, when you, those carbs that you are having are coming from vegetables, that it's colorful, it's leafy. Uh, and then, re then examining, how do I feel? Is my body saying have a dessert or have a sweet coffee or have something after like, is if it's triggering you, especially after those first few days, like it, I think it's kind of normal to, to sort of like having to retrain our brain for probably like, what do you think? Like the first three to five, yeah. Up to seven? What's your, yeah. what's your thought? I, I found some clients can take up to 10 days, but I, I, most clients are within that sort of four to five day period where they can really start to see that, that they're able to resist the sweet cravings or they're able to resist the snacking in between because their blood sugars are starting to come back into balance. It doesn't take yeah. long. It does, really doesn't take no. long. Yeah. So you just need to tell yourself no, or re resist a little for like the first week at push most through. on average. Yeah. Yeah. Through. Yeah. Have water, you know, have some sort of like, I think peppermint tea is really great yeah. because it's calming to the gut, but it yeah. also sometimes gives your brain that, that little bit of false sense of sweetness sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Or so, licorice, tea. licorice and peppermint is a really nice combination because it's mm -hmm. good for digestion, but it's got that sweeter taste to it. So it can be enough sometimes just to kind of fulfill that oh uh, that little sweetness that I need that then moves me on from that meal and I'm done kind of thing yes but if your cravings again are like really powerful and continuing beyond that then I think it's maybe like worth exploring some sort of um candida protocol yeah Uh, you know, like something to evaluate and like resource sort of re-inoculate and rebalance the microbiome. And um, you probably will notice a qu quick turnaround from that point. Um, if, if Sorry, I lost you there. That's okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So we were a little <laughs> uns unstable. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, so what else? Do you have any other tips that like, can help us break out of that that cycle? Yeah. So the first thing is to always think about what am I eating for breakfast. Make sure my breakfast is more of a protein and fats, healthy fats based breakfast. So you know that's where you would go eggs and avocado and that kind of thing for breakfast. That's that's what I would always start a client. Let's just focus on your breakfast first of all. And then I like to get them to think about eating something green and fibrous before their main meal. So that could be that could be something um, 
like you know a small salad a small side salad before you eat your main meal in order to provide the fiber which will slow down the release of of glucose into the bloodstream so focus first on what you're eating the first thing in the day and make sure that that meal is taking you from one meal to the next so you're not having to snack and that might need you to tweak it you might need you to tweak that meal to make sure there's a bit more protein in there or, or a few more a little bit more healthy fats and maybe some nuts and stuff like that but that first meal should get you from the first from that first meal all the way through to the next one four to five hours something like that without even thinking about food without having even thinking about the fact that you need to snack on something if your blood sugars are really nicely balanced, you won't even be, you know, food won't even feature. You won't even be kind of going, oh, I'm so, I'm hungry after two hours. If you're hungry after two hours, the food you're eating is not working for you from a blood sugar balance point of view. So get your breakfast right first. Once your breakfast is right and you can go for a good four to five hours before your next meal. When I say breakfast, I mean the first thing that you eat because not everybody wants to eat breakfast. And, and I'm OK with that. That's fine. That I'm not don't have a problem with that. But it's got to be the first thing you eat needs to keep you going for a good four to five hours to the next meal. And then that next meal, make sure that you're having some kind of salad based or some some kind of greenery before you eat the main meal, because that's going to give you the fiber that is going to help you to um, uh, line, almost line your stomach, essentially, for want of a better term, that slows the release. It acts like a, a bit like a sieve to slow the release of the glucose down. So that's my second tip. And then the third thing is, and I do this a lot with clients, is I say, the kitchen is closed at seven o'clock. If you haven't eaten before seven o'clock, don't eat afterwards. Don't, don't be going around the kitchen trying to find things to eat. Because when you go to bed, if your insulin levels are high, that's going to impact your quality of sleep and there is lots of research to show that your insulin levels will reset through the course of the night so you want to you want to go into deep sleep so that your insulin levels can reset and you're starting on the front foot again the following morning so just that kind of kitchen is closed but there's no more food it's not a restriction it's just i'm closing the kitchen i don't like clients to focus on not what, what i can't have i like them to just kind of focus on all the things they can have all the, the good quality stuff, all the colors, et cetera, et cetera. But then as soon as we get to that seven o'clock, kitchen is closed, we're done kind of thing. And then by the time you go to bed, your insulin levels will be coming down, which means you'll get a better quality sleep, which means they'll reset again for the following day. And that's a really useful tip. If you're someone who is really trying to get your blood sugars balanced, really try that the kitchen is closed at seven o'clock approach because then you can you can utilize your sleep and the healing the healing impact that sleep has to help mm -hmm. you speed up that balancing of blood sugars and that balancing of your insulin and to bring your insulin levels down um what is your opinion of intermittent fasting or do you have are you strongly opinionated about it so strongly opinionated is maybe a bit too strong um <laughs> I, I actually really like i like to fast i do like to fast mm -hmm. i find it really beneficial for my own well-being um i will do a kind of eating window um so i will do um a, a, an 11 to 7 eating window most days not every day but that works for me i find that's really good for my digestion i find it's really good for my blood sugar balance and i've also found that it's been really good for sort of easy weight management and stuff and so i do encourage clients to think about doing that eating window but it's not for everybody it's not for everybody it's particularly if it if if kind of restriction triggers you because you've had some kind of you know a history of eating disorders or things like that so it's important to really just be mindful if you're going to go down that road just get a little bit of advice around it first of all to 
really understand whether it's going to work for you. And if you do want to do it, I would say, you know, try maybe doing a 10 till 10 till eight eating win window, first of all, and then bringing it back in. Um, mm -hmm. But it is there is lots of evidence to show that you bring your insulin levels down and you kind of, you know, you get all those different metabolic processes kicking in to clean up the cells and and to, you know, to to really help you with your energy levels. And, and so, yeah, and from a hormone balance point of view as well. So I don't I don't personally have a problem with it, but I know some people it doesn't work for them. So it's it's each to their own, really. Yes. Love it. Well, tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, so you can go to the sugarfreecoach.com and uh, you can find my website or you can find me on Instagram as Sue Thomas, the sugar-free coach and the same on Facebook as well. And actually on LinkedIn as well. So I'm, I'm, if you find, if you just put in the sugar-free coach, you're pretty much going to find me. <laughs> and you have a signature program as well that you wanted to tell everyone. Yeah. About, so my, my signature program is a four week sugar-free method. And that program is um, four weeks of focusing on nutrition um sleep and mindset and helping those people that go through that program it's all online um, but we do have live calls as well but it's the whole point of that program is to give you the tools to be able to balance your blood sugars and stay long term so have them the right mindset the right tools in place to be able to keep your blood sugars balanced long term and then to achieve everything that you, you you seek to achieve, whether it's to look good in your dress when you go to your son's wedding or whether it's to, um, you know, just have more energy to chase after your kids kind of thing. That program, that four week sugar free method will teach you everything you need to know to balance your blood sugars long term. And it gets great results. It really does. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sue. This has really been a pleasure. I love talking about this stuff, um, you know, of course. So <laughs> especially with the clients that I work with that are yeah. struggling uh, either with insulin resistance, prediabetes or full blown type two diabetes. There's a lot of reeducation that I feel like that we're doing. So yeah. um, I love talking to other practitioners that are doing similar things and just hearing like what's working for them, what's your approach. Um, so I love um, that you're seeing such good success, that you're helping so many people. That's really exciting. So um, everybody check out Sue on her website, on the socials. We will have these links in our show notes page at drlaramay.com forward slash podcasts. And um, again, thank you, Sue. It's been a real pleasure and we appreciate your time and your wisdom. Oh, thank you for having me, Laura. I really appreciate it. Okay, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode.